Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca Frady, your host. Hey, Francistans. I am so happy you are back for another episode. I hope you are doing as well as can be. I want to remind you this is a Jewish Coffee House podcast, so make sure, make sure to check out the other podcasts on this network, including Orthodox Conundrum, Chochmat Nashim, Intimate Judaism. Before we begin, we know Hanukkah is coming up. And what does that mean? That means it's time for people to ask you what your Pesach plans are going to be. So I'd like to introduce our sponsor for today's episode, PassoverListings.com. Many people travel for Pesach to these wonderful, all-inclusive kosher for Pesach vacations around the world. It really is a daunting task to find the right Pesach program with all the info, like price, reviews, hotel details. But luckily for you, there is a company out there called Passover Listings who makes it really easy for you to find a perfect in-your-budget program. So I don't know if you've ever tried looking for prices, but it is a very complicated task. And Passover Listings created this new pricing tool that allows you to get the pricing across every single Pesach program with just a click of a button. And they have a Passover Program Reviews Facebook group to find reliable reviews. So go check them out on PassoverListings.com. The link will be in the show notes as well. And here we go. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to The Francisca Show. Today with us, we have a wife of a reservist, Tali Wolgelertner in Israel. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go back to October 7th. Yes. So my husband and I um, are lucky enough to work together as the co-directors of the Mizrahi OUJLIC in Barilan and Givachmuel, which basically means we provide support for college students and Olim, young Olim, who chosen to make Aliyah live in Israel and are building a community and a home here in Givachmuel or who are students in Barilan. So we really dedicate our whole lives to that and we love it. And you grew up in Israel. No, I actually grew up in Chicago. My husband and I met on our gap years. He's a year older than I am. He was in yeshiva with my brother in Shalavim. And my brother brought home a friend one weekend. And actually, at the time, my husband was, well, not husband yet, but he was about to draft into the army as a lone soldier. So the second time I met him, he was in uniform. And I was like, done after that. <laughs> And my dream of marrying a soldier came true. This was 16 years ago. And we both knew at the time that we always wanted to make Aliyah, build our homes and our family here. And two years after getting married, after doing our college degrees in Chicago, we made Aliyah. So you actually stuck to the plan. We did, thank God. <laughs> With a few detours along the way, but we're here. Have you ever had thoughts about what it means to marry somebody who serves in the army and that you might one day have to deal with this? Yeah, it's actually really interesting you asked that because one of my biggest concerns in marrying a soldier and making Aliyah at the time without any immediate family in Israel, my concern was always about him being a reservist. And, you know, God willing, when we were to have kids, how would that look being home alone with the kids and when he was released from the army after his 
service as a lone soldier. He was actually released with what's called a pator, a an exemption from serving as a reservist. Because we were going back to the United States to do college for a couple of years, they automatically gave him that tour, that exemption. So when we came to Israel eventually to live here, he toyed with the idea of going back to the army. And I said, you know what? Like, we did a lot. You know, you did a lot for our country in serving. And we are sacrificing to live here. And we're so lucky to make Aliyah. But I think there needs to be a kind of conversation that we have to have about how we can be successful in that dream of living here. And I don't think you going to the reserves when we're here alone makes sense. So at that time in our lives, he didn't go back to the army. He didn't go back into reserves. He had a, you know, a legal exemption and, and it never really applied to us. And what unit did he serve in? When he was a lone soldier, he was in the Nahal Brigade, which means he was a combat soldier. And he served as a Negevist, which is the machine gun in his unit, which at the time I thought was very cool. <laughs> and I'm assuming now it's something else. Yes. We'll get, yeah. Well, so it was a journey to get to this point. Okay. So take us through that journey. We, we made Aliyah, as I said, he was exempt from the army and we were building our lives here. We have four daughters, Baruch Hashem, some born here, some born in the States. And they're all in school here. Our oldest is 14. And then we have an 11-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 5-year-old. So through all this, you know, there was always kind of that guilt that my husband felt for not going back to the army. But because of our role in, in the JLIC and running our community, he still felt like he really was fulfilling this building of Medina Israel, And we feel that strongly today as well. And our youngest daughter, Serena, who's five years old, a few months after she was born, she had a seizure, which ultimately turned into many, many seizures. And we found out that she has a rare disease called Dravet syndrome, which essentially is a very severe form of epilepsy. So through her diagnosis and through her many hospitalizations, it was very clear that, you know, between our full-time jobs of supporting Olim and building a community and raising four beautiful daughters, one of whom has very severe special needs. The army really hasn't come up in the last four years. It never really crossed our minds. We felt very content in our mission in, in building up our portion of Eretz Israel. And then October 7th happened. Where were you? So it was in Torah, as everybody knows, because of the way Serena was feeling actually the night before at Hakapo on Simpatora night, I actually didn't go to Shul with her the next day. It all, seems to always go back to Serena somehow. But in this case, she was one of the reasons I wasn't in Shul was I didn't feel comfortable being far from the house. I wanted to monitor how she was feeling. And we woke up at 6.30 in the morning. I knew I already wasn't going to Shul, but when we heard the sirens wake us up at 6.30 in the morning, I looked at C and I said, those sounded different. It didn't sound like regular rocket sirens that we're used to. And I had a pit in my stomach. I said, something's not right. Something's going on. And then there continued to be sirens throughout the morning. C went to show with one of the girls. At around 12, I was getting ready for lunch, preparing the meal. We were going to have some guests. I thought I had like at least an hour to prepare the meal. I had really just started heating up the food. 
all of a sudden, my little daughter who went to shul with Steve runs up the stairs and she said, we had to drive home from shul. She has a very squeaky voice. She's very animated. We had to drive home from shul. And I almost, I remember like my breath caught so strongly in my throat that I felt dizzy. I almost fell to the ground. What do you mean you drove home from shul? This is my husband who is a rav, a community leader and, and doesn't take things lightly. Drove home from Shul on Simcha's Torah. I, I was so confused. And Steve walks up the stairs and he said, the country's in a state of emergency. And he actually has a gun for security in the house that he carries on him. And they had called him for the, what's called the Kitat Konanut, the, the community watch. And they had assembled the community watch immediately. They said anyone with a gun immediately report to the municipality and they started shifts right away. And throughout the day, news trickled in of an attack in the south, some breach in the fence. This is what we had heard. And that they were kidnapping people off the streets. And I was like, there is no way that it's as, as extreme as it sounds. When you're not on your phone, you don't have access to social media. Things seem to spread like wildfire and everyone exaggerates what they heard when telling the next person. When I heard people were being kidnapped off the streets, I naively assumed that it was similar to situations we had experienced in the past, which are no less horrific, but of, God forbid, soldiers being kidnapped or a breach in the fence, meaning, you know, one town is on lockdown. I didn't envision anything else so you can imagine when we finally got access to our phones and access to the news and we saw the gravity of what was going on and the reality sunk in that the country's in a state of war and members of our community who like Tzvi were lone soldiers who made Ali on their own and chose to live here on their own were all called up and we were able to see some of our community members off because their parents lived Outside of Israel, we helped provide support for them through their Miluim service. And we kind of banded together as a community and continued doing what we were used to doing, which was supporting the community in supporting the country through this war. And that lasted for about the first week and a half of the war. So hold on. Y your husband, Svi, he's around or he already left? At that time, he was around. He was doing patrols in the community. He was doing local patrols. He was coming home. Throughout the day, we were running the community as usual. He was the rabbi of the community. We were running events. We were running support for people who were experiencing trauma from, from what's been going on. And within about a week and a half, he got the itch. And he's like, I need to go into the army. I need to do something. I need to, you know, I, what was I trained for? Why did I spend a year and a half of my life in the army, if not to serve when there's a war. We kind of looked at each other and I, I was like, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I was hesitant. I said, yeah, I mean, there's thousands of soldiers in the army. They need you. They need the guy with four kids and a special needs child. Like, really? And, and I, I tried to convince him and I said, we have a community to run. They need you. They need you. And we need you. But in my gut and in my heart, I also kind of felt like we were dating through his army service and we were engaged through his army service. And I felt like that was a mini sacrifice that I made when we were going through that of not being able to see each other and, and missing each other and 
not being able to communicate. What was the point of him enlisting 15 years ago if when there's a war, he's not able to put those skills to use? So we, he called. He called and he actually had to get an exemption from his exemption, which sounds crazy. And my mother, my parents live in Israel now, thank God. They, they made Aliyah a few years ago. So the, the kind of excuse that I used until this point didn't exist. I was just like every other Miloim wife now. I have my parents to support me. I have my parents to help with the kids. I, I'm not alone. And my mother looked at me and she's like, Tali, you're crazy. Her exact words were, what kind of crazy kids did I raise? Because the first Shabbos that Svi was in the army, he got in in the second week of the war. He was accepted back into the army and he he was in a unit for rabbis in the army. And my mother looked at me and she's like, are you okay with this? Like she really thought I was just like faking it for Svi. She's like, are you okay with this? Like, you know, you could tell him no. And I said, no, I'm I'm okay with this. I think it's the right thing. Like he did this for a reason. He was in the army for a reason. We moved here because we believe in Medina Israel. We believe in growing the land of Israel, of Eretz Israel. And if not us, then who? So that was over a month ago. Uh, I don't think anyone anticipated the severity and the length of, of what we'd be going through now. We've come to kind of a new routine, a new daily cycle of how we're living our lives. And that's without C at home. And that's without his support and his his portion of running the house and the kids. Before we move into that, I wanted to zero in what he's doing now in the army. Yeah. Is he, you said a rabbi's unit. What does he do and where is he? Yeah. So for him getting into the army, it wasn't just enough for him to get in the army. He had to get back into combat. So he's currently serving in a combat unit, which without giving too many details, is responsible for collecting fallen soldiers and identifying fallen soldiers or parts or other personal belongings and things like that of fallen soldiers. So it's kind of like the Zaka unit within the army, which means he's going in to retrieve if there's a need into Gaza. So he's in combat for sure. And he's gone in. Yeah. Well, he actually texted me the other day regards from Khan Yunus, which is like on the border, like right at the border of Israel and Gaza. And I'm like, oh, well, did you bring back a souvenir? So yes, he's gone in. And my request to him was to tell me when he's back, not when he's going in, just because I need to be focused during the day on the girls and Obviously, I'm worried about him throughout the day. But if I don't know specifically that he's in Gaza, I can just assume that he's cleaning the bathrooms on the base instead because he does that so often at home. And he just really lets me know when he's back. And what's your communication in general? How often do you communicate? So thank God we communicate every day. Other than once, we've been able to speak every day. He gets home about every third Shabbos. And then if he doesn't, on the weeks he doesn't get home for Shabbos, he gets 24 to 48 hours to come home, freshen up, see the kids, and then he goes back. So we're, we're lucky. We get to speak every day. 
perspective, right? Okay, so yeah. tell me about your your life at home with the kids, with this new normal. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not a morning person. I never have been. And since Serena started having her seizures, I'm even less of a morning person because I spend all night keeping an eye on her to make sure she's not having a seizure in her sleep. So I'm very lucky. And she always did the mornings. She always got the girls up and dressed and took them to school. And because I really only sleep in the late, you know, the early hours of the morning till like about nine or 10 or nine. So he really, he did the mornings. And so that to me was the biggest shift in needing to really be up and out and get the girls to school on time has been the biggest challenge for me. And really credit to my kids. They've, they've helped me learn how the mornings go. It's a little embarrassing to say as, as a mom of four that I don't do the mornings, but that's our reality. And I think it's okay. Well, for you're doing the nights. Right. Yeah. Oh, very much so. We've have, you know, we do the mornings a little differently than he did. And I've learned kind of how to navigate that. And I'm also really, really, really grateful to my parents because my father has basically moved in with us since he went in. And so he really helps with the mornings also. So we like divide and conquer. And then the girls get home from school and it's very loud and it's very tense. You know, as adults, we are scared and we are nervous and on edge and we think we're hiding it from our kids. But they're just as scared and nervous and on edge as we are. And they don't know how to express it. And they don't know how to hide it in the same way that we are not hiding it as well as we think we are. So the girls are fighting a lot and the little ones are crying a lot more. And actually, even Serena has had an increase in her seizures since the war started. And I think that her physical state is very much impacted by the emotional state around her. But having said that, everyone's really stepping up. Everyone's really finding their role. And without making my kids partners, because they're still kids, and I'm really trying to be very conscious of that, of not, especially my oldest, she feels a lot of responsibility. And I'm trying to avoid making her another parent. So we're adjusting and we're learning and, and I make mistakes. And then we learn from them and we try to do better the next time. Do they ask questions? Do they express fear? And what do you respond with? Yeah, so we haven't really told them too much about where Tzvi has been. We told them he's a rabbi in the army. And to them, rabbi means giving sheer and, and having coffee dates and you know, learning a lot. So, and like running Minion. So for the most part, the, the younger ones especially kind of go with that. The older ones keep asking, where's Abba? Where is he? Is he near Gaza? Is he in a dangerous area? And I kind of try to like tiptoe around the question. The, what's interesting is the way that they're each expressing it. So the older ones are asking questions and the little ones are more showing frustration. You know, I see like they're triggered much more easily from irrelevant things. Credit to my daughter's Ganenet, actually, to her teacher, the youngest one. She saw that Serena was extremely, extremely stubborn and frustrated the last few weeks. And at one point, one of the teachers left the room and Serena burst into tears that she wanted that other teacher. And the main Ganenet said to her, Serena, do you miss her? And she said, yeah, I miss her and I miss my Abba. And so the teacher was able to realize, and this just goes to show you what an incredible teacher she is, that these kids, even though they don't know how to express it directly, 
indirectly they're showing it. So I'm trying, when I see there's a lot of tension in the house, obviously, you know, I'm not perfect. And there's definitely, stop screaming. Why are you fighting so much? But there's also, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling like you want to call Abba and say goodnight? Is that why you're not going to sleep nicely? And when we do call him and they're able to say goodnight, suddenly there's like a, like they let out a breath and they can go to sleep. So trying to be aware of the extreme emotions and where it's coming from. Talk to me about Shabbos. Shabbos, we haven't yet to be alone for Shabbos. And I don't foresee that happening because thank God we have a lot of family in Israel now. My parents, like I said, live nearby. My in-laws live in Yerushalayim, which is about an hour and a half away. And my brothers and sister-in-laws are all scattered about. So I don't see us ever being alone for Shabbos. But for Tzvi and I, Shabbos is our busiest day of the week. Shabbos is our busiest work day, so to speak, where we're going to shul and we're able to socialize with our community and host people in our house. And I feel like we've lost that part of ourselves, or at least I have kind of lost that part of myself and the ability to reach out to our community in the way that felt more natural and more organic is missing. On the other hand, because we are kind of forced to be in a more insular environment, I'm spending a lot more time with the kids. We're packing up together. We're planning outfits. And I know that sounds silly, but even just that act of like, okay, what are we bringing with to Mamo and Papa's this week and kind of making it an exciting thing as opposed to, okay, we have to pack again is an opportunity to bond over, you know, a little thing like what outfit are we bringing? Because I try to coordinate all four of them because that's just one of my crazinesses. And so it's become kind of like a, a fun new routine that we have. And it's also like digging things out of the laundry. It's like a treasure hunt, finding the missing outfit. So Shabbos has turned into a different form of Shabbos for sure, especially the first few weeks of the war in general. But even since he's in the army where, you know, we are very close to our phones. We have radios on, silent radios, but they're giving warnings throughout Shabbos. Where we live in Givachual, we had sirens almost every day for the first four weeks of the war and especially on Shabbos, era of Shabbos and throughout Shabbos. So Shabbos felt different because we were much more in tune to the outside world, which is exactly the opposite of what Shabbos is supposed to be. What about the community support? Do you have friends who are in your shoes or in similar situations? Do you have a, a bonding camaraderie? WhatsApp chat? I don't know. Tell me about that. Yeah. So in Kivach Mall, there's a really large community of Anglos, of English speakers. And there's an incredible initiative that was started by some Anglo women in Givat Shmuel, whose husbands are not in the army, specifically to take care of the Anglo women whose husbands are in the army. Because it's a little bit of a different dynamic than a typical Israeli Miluim. I fall somewhere in the middle because my parents do live here, even though they're not in our city. They do live here. But at the same time, you know, my kids still need a lot of support in school because English is their first language. And I don't have that built-in support system of, you know, childhood friends who are going through the same thing. So this support that the Anglo women have put together has been absolutely incredible. They created a buddy system, which is really nice because you don't have to really feel like you're putting pressure on an entire group of people. It's just you reach out to your buddy and you say, 
I really need help with, you know, I'm running late to this carpool. Can someone help or. And, and you're partnered with somebody who has a husband at home or somebody yes, who whose husband doesn't. is home okay. specifically. Okay. So that way it's kind of like a team taking care of, of a, a not team. So that's been really great. And little things that are really very big things. They drop off little packages before Shabbos of lotion, of cookies and, and cold brew coffee, which to them, it's probably like, how is this helping? But we feel like we have to do something. And to, to me, at least, wow, someone's thinking of me and like someone cares. And it reminds me, it's very hard for me to ask for help, but it reminds me that there is someone on the other side who is there for me. And that's been really incredible. Today's episode that just came out, which is Tuesday, the week before yeah. this episode will come out, I did a mini episode on the project called Eshet Chayal, which is a similar initiative, and we're working on getting a package to you. So if you get oh, one soon, you'll insane. know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I've been seeing their work on Instagram. It's incredible. So this is similar, like a grassroots, homegrown thing, but I've been seeing what they're doing, and it's it really is incredible and empowering. And it's in just a small example, not such a small example, but Serena hasn't been hospitalized in a very long time until Sunday when she had one of her longest seizures ever. And we ended up in the hospital for two days and didn't know how long we would be there. And I texted my buddy and I said, remember how I said it's hard for me to ask for help? She's like, what do you need? And I'm like, I'm in the hospital with Serena. I don't know who's thinking of my kids. I don't know what's going on. She's like, I'm on it. And she took care of everything. And it wasn't just about the dinner. I could order pizza. That's not the point. The point is knowing there was a human being who knew what's going on and who cares. And, and I, by the way, I would say that extends to my friends in the United States also. It's not exclusive to Israel. And that has been profound. The love and support. How are people in the States helping? I'll start with my, my friends who are like my family. Not an hour goes by that at least someone doesn't text me. And it's not a text of, of needing information and putting the pressure on me to answer. It's the kind of text of, I'm thinking about you. I'm here for you. Or just an emoji, a smiley face, a heart, something. And again, that's forgetting about the packages that they've all been sending and the, you know, gifts and that's beautiful, but it's really just, they haven't forgotten. They really haven't forgotten about us. And then there's my family who still live in the United States. I'm so lucky to be close with my mom's side of my, I'm close with my dad's side also. They all live here. My mom's side lives in the United States and they have been incredibly supportive of their cousins whose husbands are in the army. First and foremost, the amount of tzedakah that they have given to our husband's units to make sure that they have all the supplies that they need and the, the safety equipment that they need is mind-blowing. And that itself was enough. For me to know that my cousins gave to make sure my husband is safe was enough. But then I was shocked they sent each one of their cousins who have what their cousin's wife, like the army wives, this necklace. Actually, I don't know if you can see it. It's a little Israeli map with a little star in the middle. And they had it made for each of us with a personalized, gorgeous note. And the note, by the way, means more than the necklace, although I'm always going to love jewelry. 
and they they took the time to write each of us a note and to say how they haven't forgotten about us and how the country is standing on our shoulders and really exaggerating what we're doing because at the end of the day I'm taking care of my kids that's my job but it's just so heartwarming and so encouraging the support that we've been getting in and out of Israel well it is your job but you're you're living with the sacrifice you're living knowing your husband is there to protect you but to protect the land and everyone else so it, it's not just yeah. your job you're <laughs> holding a lot yes and it's so beautiful to hear first of all that people are supporting you but also how much it means to you those little things that other people are doing and have no idea if it's actually making a difference so it's helpful to hear I'd like to ask you first about your financial situation as a family unit. How has the war shifted things, him not being in his regular position? I don't know if he was the primary breadwinner before the war, but how have things shifted for you? So actually, one cool thing about JLIC is that they hire couples as a couple, and we both have the same salary. And a lot of people don't know that. All JLIC couples are hired together and have equal salary, which is really cool. I think it's the only Rebbitzin position like worldwide that is equal. So Svi's being in the army ha- isn't what directly has impacted us, but well, that's not true. His salary hasn't been impacted, but my needs have been impacted. I need more hands in the house. I need more cleaning help. I need more tutoring help for the kids. So that's, that's a financial addition that we didn't anticipate. We're supported and we're cared for and, and things are fine, but it's definitely a shift that wasn't expected. There are new needs. And the therapy that's coming with it. And I'm not just saying that, you know, casually. The increase in therapy bills of my own personal family just because of this war. And I probably speak for most of the country. And I'm sure that this will be a lifelong thing. The trauma that we've all experienced and will continue to experience is tremendous. And thank you for sharing that because. People are happy to share sometimes after the fact, but not in oh, the... yeah. I mean, one of my conditions with Svi when he joined this rescue unit, I mean, that can't be easy emotionally and psychologically. I said, does the army provide any kind of therapy for the soldiers who are doing this? Afterwards, I said, like, you have to promise you'll go to therapy when you're done. And he actually told me that the Army has, after every mission, they have a debriefing session with a therapist. I don't know if it's a social worker or a psychologist, but some trained professional to debrief the soldiers. And also after they have professional training. So mental health is as much a part of this as physical health. Can you talk to me about the relationship between you and your husband emotionally, I, my number one question, going to sleep at night knowing he's not there or not being able to have the everyday interactions. This has been going on for so many weeks. You're getting such little doses of communication. How has this impacted or strained or enhanced? I, I'm giving you all the options. You could take them wherever you'd like. Yeah, I would say all the options are correct. Enhanced, strained, strengthened, all of the above. First and foremost, one thing we joke about is it's like we're dating again because we get, you know, short snippets of conversation on the phone between his army stuff and then he has to go. But it's a little different because the kids are also pulling the phone away and also one time with him. So I would definitely say there's more 
quality to our conversations rather than quantity. What's very interesting is that not only do I see, this is like getting a little personal, but at first I thought it was just going to be hard, like technically not to have him home. Just being honest, like we spend so much time together that I was like, okay, like whatever, we'll talk on the phone and we'll be fine. So I was like worried technically who's going to take the kids to school in the morning, who's going to take out the garbage. And actually it was a joke with my friends. The first thing they wrote to me is who's taking out the garbage because they know that's just not something I do. Spoiler alert, my dad takes it out. So I was worried technically more than I was worried about our relationship. And what I see is that it's actually very much strengthened our relationship. Like we miss each other. And I didn't expect that because we've spent time apart and life is so busy. Like who has time to to miss someone that you spend all day with? And we genuinely miss each other. And it's not just the technical stuff. It's not just the day to day, you know, getting through the motions and who's doing this carpool and that carpool, but really genuinely being that person who I rely on for my emotional needs. I miss him. Having said that, when he does come home, I feel so confused because on the one hand, I'm like, no, you should rest. You need to rest. You need to have your strength. I'll do your laundry. Go take a nap. And on the other hand, I'm like, I need a nap. I've been with the kids for three weeks straight, waking up every morning at the crack of dawn when also not sleeping. And And I don't want to fold one more piece of laundry. You do it. So it's like this weird tension that I'm creating, that I'm feeling, that I'm like fighting. I'm like mad at him for nothing, just really for me not knowing what I want from him in those 24 hours that he's home. And I would imagine I'm not the only one that feels that way because it's confusing. And it's confusing for him too. Has he expressed what it's like for him to be home? I definitely see that when he comes home, he puts in an extreme amount of effort to do as much and more than he was doing before he went to the army. But I also see that he's tired and he's trying to fight that so that he can, you know, meld back into the family structure in a seamless way. So that's something that we're learning each time he comes home. And definitely Shabbos is our easier This past Shabbos, we got really lucky because he wasn't supposed to be home. And then an hour before Shabbos, he got let out. So not only was he home, we were at my parents. So it was like an off week for all of us, which never happens. So we got to have that like nice, like, and my siblings were there. So my sisters like helped with the kids and we were both kind of able to get that sleep that we needed. That was a nice surprise. That doesn't usually happen. Was there anything else you wanted to share that I didn't bring up yet? I think I just want to share that every person that feels connected to this war is doing something. And I've seen a theme in all the people I talk to. No one feels like they're doing enough. You know, when we when the war broke out and he was on the the community watch. And that wasn't enough for him. And he had to join the army and he had to get an exemption from his exemption to get in the army. And then he was in the army serving as a rabbi and that wasn't enough. He had to go into combat. And I looked at him and I'm like, are you okay? Like you're running a community. That's enough. And you're in the army and that's enough. And now you're in Gaza. That's enough. And I found myself talking to, I don't even remember who it was. And I was like saying how I feel so guilty because I see The JLIC community in a different city is running all these support programs and 
and taking care of displaced people from the South and running carnivals for the kids. And, and I'm not doing that in our community because he's not here. And, and I was saying how I feel guilty because I'm only doing our weekly programs and our Rosh Chodesh and challah bakes. And I started listing the things that we're doing that to me felt like small things. And she's like, Tali, are you okay? Your husband is on the front lines. You have four kids and you're still doing X, Y, and Z. And then I was talking to my mother who's telling me how she's cooking for an army base and she only managed to get out 70 meals the other day. And usually she does 150 meals. And and I looked at her, I'm like, are you okay? You're literally cooking for an army on a daily basis. And so what I want to say to everyone is, are you okay? <laughs> We're all trying our best. And I'm saying this as much to myself as everybody else, that our best has to be good enough sometimes. And it's not a mitzvah to burn ourselves out so that we can't then do what we need to do. And even our baseline is so important. And running ourselves to the ground to either outdo someone else or make ourselves feel better or whatever the reasoning is behind it, if that takes away from our main tafkid, our main goal, which whatever that is, being a mother, being a soldier, being a chef, being anything, then that's not, that's not okay. And so just to remember that that one text message that you send to your friend whose husband is in the army, that emoji, that, that candy platter, it does so much more than we each realize. And to keep going, this is a long, long time, you know, a month and a half, 53 days. And just don't, don't forget about us here in Israel. Everyone's been so incredible and just the momentum at the beginning has been beyond inspiring. I mean, the amount of tears I cried from pride to see the the duffel bags flying to Israel, where as much as I cried when I saw the horror, you know, the horrific scenes that took place on October 7th, keep the momentum going and find ways to to stay strong for for that baseline of of what we all need to be doing. And your baseline, do you have time for your own self-care, for time alone, for time to recuperate because you have so much on your plate? I do not. <laughs> I think that self-care is something that is thrown around when we are trying to find a way to take care of someone. We have nothing else to say to them. And I'm guilty of this also. Do I have time to get a manicure? I'm going on Thursday. So I'm so, not talking about manicures. When I mean self-care, honestly, I mean time alone because that's <laughs> yeah. the easiest distinction between doing things for other people and not having anything to do and not having anyone around you who, who might ask you to do something. Just off, off time. Yeah. No, I don't really have time alone, to be perfectly honest. I don't. I don't think that my situation is necessarily a direct correlation to what everyone else has, not to say that mine is worse than anyone else's, but between me being in the army and also four kids, one of whom has severe special needs, I don't really have time alone because even when Svi's home, I don't have time alone. So what's interesting actually is that this war makes me feel almost like people can kind of get how I feel on a regular basis when it's not a war. That might sound crazy, but you're always in a war. I'm constantly in a state of red alert. 
I'm always waiting for the next crisis. I'm always on, I'm always, every time my phone rings, I jump because I assume it's Serena's teacher calling to tell me something happened. Even if Serena's next to me, I jump. So I'm always in that fight or flight mode. And so for me, what this war has done is almost given me like an excuse to breathe a little bit and say like, okay, people get it now. We're all in this together. And so in a weird, crazy kind of way, I almost feel more understood. Like people with OCD when COVID started. Yeah. COVID gave me that same feeling, by the way, because we're always sheltering ourselves, always creating a bubble and everyone was creating a bubble and everyone was being neurotic. And it really does mirror that feeling. So these kind of crises in a crazy way for my personal family give me a sense of feeling understood in a little way. It doesn't create more space for me as an individual, but kind of emotionally, it does help. It makes me feel less crazy because I sometimes do feel like I'm going crazy. Like, how am I always on edge? But now everyone's always on edge. So I kind of feel less on edge in a way because I feel more supported. So I don't have time alone, but I do feel like more myself, sort of. You don't have to answer this question. Now we've been having a little bit of a break from getting names of soldiers and reservists who were killed because of the hostage release ceasefire agreement. But what goes through your head and how do you deal with the news when reservists and soldiers' names are released? It's not really something that I've let myself internalize. And it's not when I open the news that scares me. It's when I get a number on my phone that I don't recognize. Because a family member is never going to get the news of the dreaded news on the internet. The army is very, very, very very careful about that. So it's like getting an unknown number is way scarier or seeing news of an ambush on a group of soldiers that kind of makes my heart stop. I genuinely believe that this is the right place for Tzvi to be right now. I see that his ability to A, support the soldiers around him and B, to articulate to the community and to our friends and family how dedicated he is to this and how important this is for him. It very much echoes how I've been feeling without saying it out loud. I I don't really go to that place. I don't really go to that place of fallen soldiers, injured soldiers, because it just doesn't feel like something relevant. Yeah, I can't. I mean, it's, it's like any parent thinking of, you know, their kid's first driving lesson or taking their first flight or whatever it might be, sending their kids off to sleepaway camp. There's a thousand things that could happen. So you just think of what's happening right now. What is in this moment? In this moment, everything's okay. Then everything's okay. And that's really kind of how, I, how I've handled the situation so far. And, and he's not in the most dangerous situation. Although there have been soldiers who haven't been in dangerous situations at all, who've gotten in accidents. And, you know, so it's kind of feels like it's not worth my energy to be scared for him. I'm scared for all the soldiers. I'm scared for every single father, son, brother, sister, aunt, whatever they are to anybody. Everyone is someone, something. And I just don't take, I don't go to that personal place. It's like almost like he's somewhere else. 
And you're in this still. You're still in this. We're still in this. This war. We're very much still in this. There were some. There were large numbers of reservists who were sent home in the last couple weeks or last week, mostly because they want them to rejuvenate so that they can be called back in. And I sent the message. I'm like, "Oh, are you going to be sent in?" And he said, "Not even close." Like his unit is not one of the units that are winding down. They are just getting started. And that's something that makes me scared. Like the not knowing how long this is going to be is very hard. If I knew I have to do this for two more weeks, okay, so I'll be really tired for two weeks and then I'll be okay. But this could be months and months. And at some point, you know, I'm going to need a break and I'm going to say, okay, everyone's taking a week off of school because I can't drive you to school anymore. And that's just what's going to happen. And it's going to be okay. This is a just lot. Just don't tell their teachers. <laughs> Well, maybe your buddy could kick in for that week, you know? Yeah, right. Tali, I am so grateful to you. You're, as it is, pulled in so many directions all day and all night. So I'm so grateful to you for taking time out of your day to share this with all of us who are, just like you said, we all feel like we're not doing enough. And it's so valuable for us to get a little glimpse into what your life is like and what helps you and what doesn't help and what gives you that emotional chizuk support that is helpful and i'm sure it's different for everyone what they need but this is helpful and i appreciate that so thank you thank you and thank you to everybody really truly from the bottom of my personal heart we feel the love and we feel the support and it it really means everything kudos to you really hashem should just give you strength i mean keep to be safe and all our soldiers i mean i mean i mean thank you Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for sending me your feedback. Thank you for participating in the WhatsApp discussion group and have a good week.